0: Hi, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit podcast with Holland and Barrett. In today's episode of the Wellness Edit podcast, we talk to the Gut Stuff twins, Lisa and Alana McFarlane, as well as Isabel Tarrant, registered nutritionist for Holland and Barrett. We delve into all aspects of gut health and how it can impact many parts of our health, not just the gut, but also the skin, our hormones, even our sleep do join us for a fascinating conversation, as well as some practical top tips to help you look after your gut health. Now, for those of you who are not watching on video, Alana and Lisa are identical twins, and they first became passionate about gut health as part of the Twins UK research from King's College London. What we're going to be doing today is diving into gut health like you've never seen before, and hopefully understanding the way our guts work just a little bit better. It's amazing to have you all with me. Welcome, Lisa, Alana, and Isabel. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. So let's just try and dive a little bit more into why Twins Research led you down this gut health path, because my understanding is that you guys have come from a background of DJing uh, and gut health is probably the last thing on your mind. So perhaps if I start with Ilana, tell me a little bit more about how this twins research started and why it led to gut health.
1: Yeah, our journey into gut health was very, very random. Um, we couldn't have been far from the health and wellness industry being two DJs um, coming from working class uh scotland where we were brought up on deep fried pizza chips and 10 lambert and butler so yeah we <laughs> could have been from the health awareness world we signed up for twin research just because we were really curious about what was different physiologically b- between us and we had very h- different health pathways going up they used twins a lot for medical research because they're a great constant so and um, when Tim asked us if we wanted to be the first twins to have our guts analysed, firstly, we said, What's our guts? Secondly, we said, Okay, what do we have to do? And um, so it turned out that we have to send our poo off in the post every day for two month- months and have, yeah, a couple of col- coloroscopies as well. So, yeah, um, pretty invasive, but they did the, the sort of research that came out of it was was fascinating. And they found out that even though we had, the same DNA, we only have 30 to 40% the same um, gut bacteria, which was really groundbreaking research at the time. Um, So that sort of very randomly got us on to um, our journey into gut health.
0: Wow, that is a very random beginning into a passion for gut health. And it what you said strikes me as so interesting. So you were talking about Professor Tim Spector and his twin research. And I think you're right, you know, so so much of research is based around genetics and in the 1990s we were so convinced that unraveling the genetic code would would answer all of our questions about human health. And then fast forward a few years we began to realize actually there's an awful lot that we don't still know. And the fact that you were able to determine that you and your identical twin, 100 percent the same genetically, had far less in common with each other in terms of the gut bacteria and what was going on inside than you could ever have imagined. What did you feel when you found out about that, Lisa? Um, Well, first of all, we were kind
2: of excited that there was something different between us because everyone, (laughs) we've been compared for so long. And secondly, it kind of turned on its head everything that we sort of knew about nutrition. So, you know, our touch points to nutrition um, prior to that were the cabbage soup diet pre magalouf 2005 and, um, yeah, Dukin diets and all sorts of nonsense. Um, So we were like, you know, actually, when we were speaking to the scientists, they were given us um you know we were like do you have any lifestyle tips we know the, you know the research is still so new and they were talking about things like fiber variety you know everything your granny told you really um so and it kind of reaffirmed that if we as identical twins can't be sold the same diet or lifestyle then no one can and i think that kind of concept really shifted the way that we we thought about nutrition and health um yeah, and not only were we speaking to gastroenterologists to geneticists, we were speaking to immunologists, the head of Parkinson's research. And like, this is a lot wider spread um, than, you know, just digestive health, that microbiome is linked to so many different other things. Um, and yeah, it kind of dragged us out of the DJ world and into this, which is surprising.
0: Yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense when you discover this kind of thing about yourself. And I think, tell me a bit more about your upbringing you mentioned you know the smoking and the takeaways and all that stuff were you both eating the same stuff at that time Ilana?
1: Yeah absolutely you know having the exact same thing to eat you know doing the same dance classes um, being brought up in the same environment. And yeah, the the only thing that was really different between us that Tim Spector actually wrote about in his first book was that I had had more antibiotics growing up. Um, and they think that could be part of the reason why um, we had that shift in our in our microbiomes, um, but Lisa, we actually went to unis in separate countries, um, which you could also have something to play. But yeah, we are definitely growing up our our diet. You know, we hadn't we didn't know what an avocado was until we moved to London. Certainly,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fair enough. I think most people didn't know what avocados were, especially back in the nineteen nineties. Yeah. Um, so so Lisa, you know, Alana pointed to the fact that she'd had some antibiotics. Were you both having different health struggles that Tim Spector suggested may be related to your microbial health?
2: Yeah, so we had completely different health pathways growing up. Um, As Alana said, um, Alana actually had juvenile chronic arthritis and they couldn't work out why. Um, So they knew that at one point thought it could be viral, but they ruled that out. Um, and yeah, they still, it was kind of like an unsolved mystery for our childhood. And I had really bad acne and um, more mental health problems than I didn't. So we really had different pathways and that went some of the way to explaining why that could be the case.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating. And I suppose bringing it back to the fact that microbiome research is still relatively in its infancy and being able to understand how all these different bugs sort of interact not only with our gut lining but with our immune system and with each other. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's incredible the variety that that we all have within mm-hmm. um and Isabel as as a nutritionist, obviously your passion is learning about food and nutrition. And if anyone didn't catch the first series of the Wellness Edit, Isabel shared some of her story in one of the uh, gut health episodes in series one. But for those of you who didn't, would you like to just be able to share a little bit about why you are personally so fascinated by gut health?
3: Of course, so, um, like you said, I'm a nutritionist, um, but I got into nutrition and gut health, um, through my own personal story. Um, so a few years ago now, um, about 2015, I suffered with appendicitis and it was quite severe, I had my appendix out. Um, but I, there was actually a few complications um, during the surgery I ended up, to, ended up developing peritonitis um, and I've had quite a severe kind of um, infection in my gastrointestinal tract um, and then following this obviously I was given um, very strong antibiotics um, and I have recovered from that however in the following years afterwards I um started to develop IBS-like symptoms and I'd never suffered from IBS in the past. I had a lot of digestive issues. I was feeling very fatigued, tired. I had a lot of acne. um, And I started doing a bit of research, looking into this, um, and look, doing a bit of research into nutrition and I ended up, um, seeing a nutritionist myself. Um, and I learned more about, um, the gut microbiome and how antibiotics, although a lot of the time they are necessary and they, in my case, they, they saved my life. They can be detrimental to our gut microbiome and they, um, can cause a lot of issues in, um, creating an imbalance in the gut bacteria in our, in your gut, um, So through this kind of research and speaking to my nutritionist, I put in some um, lifestyle practices. I started increasing fiber into my diet. I had some probiotics, some prebiotics. I tried to reduce my stress levels because we know there's a link between the gut and the brain, which I'm sure we will discuss later. Um, And I found that through all these. Um, practices I actually started feeling a lot better my digestive issues were reducing I was um, my skin was clearing up I was less tired and I found that I did recover um, from my IBS and I am um, I mean there, there can be many factors but I believe that the strong antibiotics that I um, was given um, may have played a role in um, kind of being harmful to my microbiome, which then triggered the digestive issues that I had. Um, So from this, I became very passionate about nutrition. I was kind of surprised at the amount of non-evidence based um, kind of pseudoscience out there on the internet. Um, So I then went on to pursue my master's um, in clinical and public health nutrition at UCL in London. Um, And I was particularly interested in the gut microbiome. So I pursued my dissertation, my thesis on the role of the microbiome in um, immune function in inflammatory disease in infants, um, working at the Great Great. Um, Ormond Street Institute of Child Health and I really kind of got super interested in um, the gut microbiome. So now I am a registered nutritionist and I'm working at um, Holland and Barrett providing evidence-based nutrition advice through articles and um, podcasts like today. And then here we
0: are, that's (laughs) a lovely way of sharing your journey, your passion and your own personal experience and I think there's a really interesting connection there because you mentioned that you were researching um, immune conditions in children and how that relates to the microbiome. And of course, Alana herself had a very interesting experience along those lines. So just love the synergy that's that's, uh, in that in terms of the message that we're sharing today. Um, Could you share a little bit more, Isabel, about how our gut health then can affect our immune system?
3: course um so i mean our gut health is linked to um several kind of nearly all aspects of our health and um, particularly the immune system um so actually um, about approximately 70 percent of our immune cells are in our gut um And that means that there is a a strong link between our gut and our immune system. So we know that um, infants who are born via cesarean section compared to vaginal delivery um, tend to have an increased risk of um, immune um, modulated conditions such as eczema, um, asthma. Um, And this is that's an example, for instance, the um, when you're born by a caesarean ces- section, you're not exposed to the vaginal microbes by passing through the vaginal birth canal um, and therefore this can disrupt the colonisation of our, the microbes in our gut um, and this disruption um, um, therefore kind of can disrupt um, the development and the programming of the immune system early in life and increase um, the risk of immune modulated conditions. Um, so I mean, in terms of inflammation in general, kind of when you have an imbalance in the bacteria in your gut, which is known as microbial dysbiosis, um, this can increase the intestinal permeability. Um, so that's the, the barrier in the intestine. It can kind of make it more permeable. So there's gaps in there um, and our bacteria can kind of escape through the gaps, and um, which is known as bacterial transoculation. Um, and this um, can increase inflammation in the body. So you have the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines, um, and that can trigger all kind of inflammatory conditions and um, kind of exacerbate immune responses.
0: Right and so For those of us who have had children by cesarean section or who have been born by cesarean section, it's an interesting piece of research. But luckily, I think we're all um, in agreement that there are many things that we can still do, even in that scenario, to improve our gut health and to improve the way that our body and our gut can respond to the the microbes within us. Would you be able to share a little bit, Lisa, about what you have learned speaking with experts such as Isabel and all of the other scientists and researchers that you have collaborated with about how our guts and our immune systems work together and what we can do right now to improve the way that they work?
2: Yeah, so we um, actually, when we were writing our book, this was one of the chapters that um you know, particularly during these times and in COVID, um, it's really important that we are, um, you know, sensitive and as Isabel said, like completely evidence based. But the way my grasp on it is that the gut bacteria are like little teachers to our immune cells. Um, and that was how I kind of wrapped my head around it, because I think that. Um, you know, your immune health and heart health and gut health—the things that we do for all of them are quite similar. So yes, we need to treat them in isolation, but the the tips that we give um for heart health are actually similar than to gut health as well and general health. Um, and yeah, and I think the problem that we have with immune health is people want a solution, so they want a magic bullet. A f- quick fix you know is it vitamin d is it echinacea and unfortunately it's much more complex than that and it's the same with inflammation and yeah i guess um well. will speak to this better than i can but people see it as a bad thing um, and oh inflammation You need to reduce inflammation and actually there's so much complexity there it's really um difficult but you know so what we talk about is, you know, flourishing that garden, feeding those microbes um, and making them happy teachers so they can teach well <laughs> and being enough of them and keeping them happy. And that's kind of how my toddler non-scientific
0: brain gets its head around it. <laughs> well, I think it's important. So we go from talking about inflammatory cytokines to happy teachers, but it all makes sense. And I think that's that's how we get people to you know, get more on board with eating foods and creating habits and lifestyle sort of um, ways of being that will improve their gut health um i mean elana what are your thoughts on this how would you explain it to somebody if if they wanted to know like what is the microbiome and what am i supposed to do about making it good like how would you how would you go about explaining that so yeah, when that, I think
1: just even the word microbiome, people go, "What, what is going on?" And yeah. uh, the way we sort of describe it is, um, "The bacteria, fungi, pathogens that live in, around, and on us." Um, and there's absolutely trillions of them. There's so many of them, and we couldn't, we wouldn't be alive without them. Uh, when Lisa and I first heard that, we were like, "Oh my god, give me a bath!" Like we were eighties <laughs> babies. Like, what is this? And and the reason we call it gut health is because the majority of them are housed in our large intestine. But the way we think about them is like, either we think about them, I sort of think about them more as like my pets. Um, so they sort of live in around and on me. Lisa thinks of them more like a, a garden or, or a rainforest. But just knowing that they exist is um, is really important. And I think that's the first thing that we should do, because when we talk about gut health, Uh, you know a lot of it is to do with our microbiome and and just actually reading up on on what that is and what it influences is is super important
0: yeah so think of it as as either flourishing in the garden looking after the rainforest making friends with um these little buddies down there that are looking out for us um and or pets as you put it i like that (laughs) ways of actually personalizing the bugs to make them our friends (laughs) and you know we've we've learned over the last few years that microbiome health has an integral role to play when it comes to things like alzheimer's disease maybe even things like autism and um, looking at heart health you know so would it be possible to just kind of share some of that research with us so that we can understand more why it's so integral to all aspects of our health i'll direct that to isabel to start with
3: yeah, of course. Um, so you're right. The kind of the microbiome research is still in its infancy, but it's so fascinating. We're seeing um, the microbiome linked to every aspect of health and brain health, skin health, hormonal health, immune system. Um, so uh, in terms of brain health, um, there's a strong relationship between the gut and the brain um, and this is bi-directional so we know that the brain can influence the gut and also the gut can influence the brain um, and this is known as the gut brain axis um, so the main way that the gut and the brain communicate um, is through um, a nerve called the vagus nerve and this kind of you just imagine like a cord connecting the gut and the brain um, And our microbes in our gut produce neurotransmitters. So these are um, kind of chemicals which are important for brain function. Um, So 95% of our serotonin is produced in our gut, and serotonin is involved in feeling happy, um, pleasure, feelings of euphoria. Um, So recent research is showing that there's a link between um, gut health and psychological um, conditions such as anxiety and depression. So individuals who are suffering with anxiety and depression tend to have a less diverse and less um, kind of rich and healthy microbiome composition compared to healthy um, individuals um, and this is because when we know that there's an imbalance in the bacteria in our gut so microbial dysbiosis um, like I said before it can increase intestinal permeability you get leaking of the bacteria into the circulation this can um, lead to the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines to so inflammation which can travel up to the brain and um, cross the blood-brain barrier and influence um, our brain chemicals um, and our brain function. So, recent studies have looked at the potential of microbiome-targeted interventions, such as probiotics, in um, reducing um, symptoms of anxiety and depression. I mean, there is some really interesting research coming out. I mean, it's still in its infancy, but there's definitely a link. Um, and the same with Alzheimer's and um, Parkinson's disease, Um, there is a link between the gut health and neurodegenerative um, disease. Um, So again, there's studies looking at the potential for probiotics and even um, fibre-rich diets. There's a diet called the MIND diet, um, which kind of helps promote the growth of friendly bacteria in the gut and and potentially help to prevent neurodegenerative disease such as Parkinson's and Alzheimer's so it's really interesting and it's another reason why looking after our gut um is not just for our digestive system but for our overall health and our our brain health. So Ilana
0: tell me a little bit about (laughs) you you just had to go outside to to deal with um your lovely dog and you know I've heard a lot of benefits to having pets um for our microbiome Mm -hmm. health but tell me a little bit more about your dog and how you think based on your research it can help somebody to have a pet
1: yes and um, so yeah we always say when we're, we're doing talks you know if your kids want a puppy you need to get them one because it's good for their <laughs> gut health um, but yeah my dog is he's old and mad now he's 15 um but he was actually bruiser and legally blonde in the west end so yeah he's now like a re- yeah he's a retired diva but He sort of, because he's getting so old, he sort of forgets when he's went to the toilet and then yeah, he's just sort of (laughs) lost it. But he's um, yeah, an old retired actor. Um, But yeah, very different. Lisa's got a a pony sized Labrador and he's a chihuahua. So they're like little and large. Um, But it's a bit like World War Three when they're together.
0: I can (laughs) only imagine. Um, So Isabel was talking earlier about how our microbiome can affect so many different things. And she went into a bit more depth about how it can affect our mood. And I know Lisa, you mentioned about some of your mental health struggles in the past. I'm also just really curious to get your verdict on how the situation with the pandemic has affected our gut health and our mood. And if you have any sort of insights about that, um, Lisa. Yeah.
2: So we actually did, um, when lockdown first happened, we did like kind of your gut in lockdown. Uh, I gathered like all the the nutritionists, dietitians, and doctors that we kind of work with and like, okay, what can we do? Cause actually some people, it was kind of a tale of two halves, I think. Um, a lot of people found that they were ha- having more time to cook from scratch. They weren't traveling as much, so they were perhaps less stressed. Um, And they found it was a really good time um, to actually start researching about gut health and learning. So on one hand, there was a lot of, you know, uh, growth and interest, firstly, within the category, but also within people being more conscious about their health, I think. And on the other hand, a lot of people were, you know, uh, you know, stressed um, in terms of, you know, the pandemic and understandably in general, but also, you know, in living situations where they might not want to go to the toilet, um, or where their diets had completely changed because they were out of their routine. Um, and we're finding that their digestive health was starting to deteriorate as a result of that. So we were just really curious as to why, um, you know, how that was because there's such a big kind of cultural and behavioral shift and how that affected people's gut health. But generally we've seen, um, you know, our website had started to skyrocket because people were starting to realise uh, and just be a bit more conscious about um, their health. And I think the gut-brain axis is something that is really exciting. I think we the problem that we have is when it gets out into the world, it starts to become sensationalized quite quickly. So, you know, a bit of sauerkraut is going to cure your depression, et cetera. And I think mental health is multifactorial as we all know, and we have to see perhaps nutrition and this aspect as a tool in your armory uh, something that you have control over, um, rather than a solution. Um, and I think that's where, you know, we, we actually were speaking at a conference, um, this week about, you know, postbiotics and, and psychobiotics, um, Um, and there's some amazing books like the Psychobiotic Revolution um, about the gut-brain axis but because it's so multifactorial it's really difficult to measure and I think that we have to yeah, as I said, treat it with the kind of Uh, yeah the grey and nuance that science deserves because I think we tend to have quite a binary relationship when we find out about these things and it's like good food bad foods mood boosting foods mood boosting supplements and actually it's all the kind of basic foundation stuff um, that we should be focusing on just now until the science um, catches up.
0: And what kind of foundational stuff would that sort of mean what does that look like to the average person? Um, Elana.
1: So our sort of three principles that we talk about um, at The Gut Stuff is firstly, tuning in. You know, I, I think, you know, rarely we tune in unless we're hungover or ill. Um, so first step is, you know, really actually looking at, at your routine and your overall sort of 360 health. And then we talk about fibre. So um, we we should all be getting at least... Um 30 grams of fibre a day, and um, which is actually a lot when you think a portion of broccoli or an apple is actually only two and a half grams. It, you know, we do have to keep thinking about it. and um, if you've got digestive issues, that can differ. So I'm talking about general terms here. Also not going from zero to hero. So if you only have two or three grams of fibre today, don't go to 30, drink lots of water while you do it. Um, and variety. So I think, you know, we're all creatures of habit, aren't we? We all go into the supermarket and have um, grab the same peppers, cucumber and tomatoes because and, we know what to do with them. But actually, um, what a thing that came out of the American Gut Project, which is actually the study that we took part in initially was the, was the research behind having 30 different plant-based variety a week. And um, so 30 grams a day of fiber, but 30 different plant-based variety a week. Um, and that concluded include not just fruit and veg, but nuts, seeds, legumes, whole grains. Um, and we've got all the hacks. So, you know, different colors count red pepper, yellow pepper, green pepper, orange pepper, you get four points for that, even though it's all peppers. And, <laughs> um, you know, same with things like apples. So I think, you know, really being a bit experimental with um with with food and and variety really is key
0: yeah that, that makes a lot of sense and it's a really practical tip so 30 grams a day and if you don't know what that looks like just remember really aim for 30 different kinds of fruits or vegetables or nuts or seeds a week is that what your message is
1: yeah, so the magic number is thirty. So when we talk about fibre, we're aiming for thirty grams a day. We actually have a really good fibre table on our website, thegutstuff.com, where we list lots and lots of foods and how much fibre is actually in them. And um, because obviously with things like fruit and veg, you're not going to see the the numerical grams of fibre on it because a lot of the time, hopefully you'll be buying it without plastic and <laughs> ju- and just on its own. So when we're talking about fibre, thirty grams a day. But when we're talking about variety, it's thirty a week. So that can get quite confusing, but. Actually, the two coincide because mm-hmm. fruit and veg is obviously fibre and nuts. So, yeah, just upping, upping them both really, I think, is, is key.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's an important point to make because I don't think people realise that the only sources of fibre in our diet are fruits, vegetables, whole grains and legumes and, you know, nuts and seeds, but that's it. You don't get it from anywhere else. So as long as you're eating lots of those foods, you're actually, you know, sorting out your fibre needs right there. Yeah, and
1: when we were first going through the research, we were we were like, what do you mean, like cereal? You know, we didn't even know that it was fruit, like f- f- fruit and veg had fibre in it. So yeah, um, there there is a lot of different types of fibre. That's why plant, if you think about plant-based, um, just eating more plants, really, and you'll be in the right direction.
0: Uh, yeah, um, but Lisa, tell us why, Why, in your opinion, is fiber so important for healthy gut? Well, this
2: is because well, our grandad Jim used to be like, all right, makes me go, makes me go, which it does. It does bulk your stool. And um, basically, we uh, are we cannot digest fiber, but our gut bacteria can, and they love it. So it is essentially the food for your gut bugs as well. So not only is it bulk its stool, you're essentially keeping your gut bugs happy. And that kind of double pronged thing. That I think that's why fiber is kind of you know it's kind of like the basis in the band that no one really knows the name of, like. They're sort of there, but they're like the unsung hero of nutrition. And I think fiber, you know, ain't sexy, but it needs to um make a comeback because it is so important. Um, and yeah, I think it's been
0: lost in the kind of low carb protein hype, and um, we need to bring it back. 100%. I could not agree more. <laughs> That's what I write about in my book as well. The Plant Power Doctor is all about the role of fiber and how important it is and how it affects all the different body systems. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it's not sexy. Now, <laughs> I understand you've got a big campaign where people, like they might have seen it at bus stops and places like that, where um, it's called How Do You Poo? Now, that doesn't sound very sexy either. Um, do we, you know, do we actually need to look at our poo? What are we looking for? Like, what's this campaign all about?
2: Well, it was kind of, you know, I guess like, the poo taboo is kind of the the final, one of the final taboos. You know, I think we're definitely there with periods, we're definitely getting there with sexual health. Um, and for some reason, after the age of five, and when we're not talking about puppies, it's something that we all don't really tune into. Um, and yeah, we kind of wanted to do it in a way that was quite fun, and um, and kind of not in a way that was in any way diagnostic, but just for people to start to because if you go to your GP with a digestive issue as well, the first thing we'll say was when is the last time you pooed and you're kind of like oh I don't know it's like none of us ever really know that and so I guess it's just a way of kind of opening up the conversation and getting people talking about their guts Um, and also when we were actually still DJing that was the question we got asked most in toilets like I haven't been for a poo for three days is that normal I'm like um I don't know what your normal is um (laughs) but yeah and I think that it's actually as well something that can you know you know on one hand it's a really funny conversation if people like it but on the other hand you know we work a lot um you know with bowel disease research and bowel cancer charities and you know like it is the first port of call for people that's what they kind of always the trojan horse for like please just treat your poo and nobody really knows what's a good poo and what's bad poo because it is so individualized so you have to empower people to figure out and tune in for themselves so yeah, lo- and, yeah, we love poo chat now that everyone in toilets at gigs asks us. It's <laughs> a <So>, good icebreaker.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm quite used to poo chat in my work and my line of yeah. work. And mm-hmm. um, I think you're really uh, accurate when you say people have no idea what's going on down there. You know, I asked them about their, their stool habits and uh, they can't remember when they last did a poo. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't know what their poo looks like. They will come in concerned if they see blood in their poo. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they don't know that black poo is bad, or that at least it's something that we need to investigate and understand mm-hmm. if there's a cause, um, and of course the shapes and sizes of our poo as well, mm-hmm. and how that can actually, you know, have a role to play in our health. Uh, Alana, have you got anything to add about the how do you poo campaign and and what people should actually why people should be looking like what 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 they should be worried about?
1: Yeah, I think as well the the main sort of, of as Lisa said the main um, like purpose of the ad was to grab people's attention so that people learned more about gut health and i think you know when we talk about gut health people it's difficult because when people think gut health they think sometimes can think digestive issues ibs ibd but actually gut health affects everyone and that was the main purpose of that ad was to get people talking about the gut and you know looking on our website and um yeah just finding out because i think even as well like when we first started the research we were like What do you mean, my beer belly? And then we were like, "Oh, is it just my stomach?" And it's like, "No, it's actually everything from your mouth to your bum." And then you put the microbiome on top of that, and I think you know it really does affect everyone. And the main purpose of it was just to get to get the word
0: out there about gut health, really. I think you're right. It it can get overlooked because people are embarrassed. You know, they don't really want to. It smells. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to. Definitely don't want to talk about it. But it is. It's important to have these kinds of conversations. Um, And you mentioned sauerkraut earlier and its role in potentially improving gut health. And my understanding is, of course, that sauerkraut is a fermented food. Um, So tell us, if you could, why people go on about fermented foods and how they're good for the gut. Lisa? Lisa?
2: Yeah, so fermented foods is an interesting one because, you know, it didn't, they weren't created in East London despite popular opinion. (laughs) Um, You know, they've been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, And essentially, you know, they are, they can be a source of good bacteria. The problem that we have with fermented foods currently. There isn't a huge amount of scientific research behind them. That is because, um, you know, uh, someone that's fermenting cream in their kitchen ain't, ain't paying millions of pounds for a clinical trial. Um, so that's, you know, that's that But And secondly, um, you know, there's quite a barrier to access with taste with fermented foods. Some people are like, I don't really understand. My, our mum was like, they make me gag. Um, and also when you start to commercialise fermented foods, a lot of people take out the natural bacteria that occurs and put bacteria back in so they'll pasteurize it and pop it back in so there's a lot of confusion both within industry um, and in science when it comes to fermented food there is a lot more clinical trials coming out about fermented foods as we start to move into it Um, but yeah so we're talking about things like uh, our entry level how we got our mum in was sourdough um so like swapping the kind of loaf that she was having for sourdough. Um, and then you can work your way up, you know, kefir kombucha, um, all the way up to kimchi. Um, but yeah, and we always say, you know, if you can add or try some new, something new when it comes to fermented foods once a week, then great. Um, but there isn't a huge amount of scientific research there to suggest that, you know, it's going to improve your gut health tenfold, et cetera. But, you know, it's about... Uh, trusting that trying these things um you know it's is the experimentation thing that Alana um spoke about earlier but I'm sure Isabel can allude to the, the science more accurately than I can um, but yeah and I think when we first found out we were like oh do you mean like pickles and
0: jars um, unfortunately no <laughs> that's not the case yeah I think it's something that it's worth people knowing about because as you say they've been around for hundreds of years you know, it's been a great way to preserve food especially in the winter months and before anyone had fridges you know, how do people preserve nutrients in food how do people consume uh, probiotics um, when they could Store anything you know in a way that that was um, as easy for fresh food to stay fresh, and so yeah. What I'd like to sort of circle back on is a little bit more detail around other aspects of why this is important. So we've talked about um, just the function of the gut and how we poo. We've talked about mental health. We've talked about um, in childhood immune health. Uh, let's share a little bit more about how it could affect things that you wouldn't expect, things like our skin and maybe even things like our sleep patterns. Now, is there anybody of the three of you who can, off the top of your head, share some information about how our gut health is related to our skin? Don't mind, I can if you want mm-hmm. me to. Yep, yeah, go for yeah. it, Isabel. Isabel.
3: <laughs> um, so our skin, like our gut, has its own microbiome, so the skin microbiome. So we've got, Microbes, bacteria, fungi, virus living on the skin, um, and that when you have disruptions in the the skin microbiome, this um, can be associated with certain skin conditions. So, things like atopic dermatitis, which is eczema or acne, um, but also the microbes in our gut can influence our skin as well. So, for instance, with Atopic dermatitis, so that's um, eczema. Um, This is an immune modulated condition, like we discussed earlier, um, involving an allergy response. Um, And um, eczema is very common in infancy. And in infancy, that's when your immune system is developing and your immune system is programming. But that's also when you've got um, colonisation of um, the gut microbiome. So your your microbiome is developing at that point. And we know that the microbiome plays an important role in immune modulation and the programming of the immune system. Um, So... infants who have a disruption to their microbiome early in life, so like potentially those who have um, increased antibiotic exposure, those who were born by cesarean suction, have an increased risk of eczema um, due to the impact of the microbiome on the immune system and eczema's immune modulated condition. Um, So recent studies, have there's a study um, by the Archives of Disease in Childhood, they found that adding prebiotic um, fibres to formula milk of infants can reduce um, the incidence of eczema and also another study um, found that adding probiotics um, to infants with eczema um, can reduce the symptoms and potentially down regulate um, the immune response to reduce the inflammation there. So it is in in its infancy. Um, We can't say that kind of probiotics can cure eczema but there is a link between the gut um, and our skin health and then in terms of another skin condition such as acne acne is multifactorial but we know that um, it does involve inflammation Um, and studies have found that individuals with acne tend to have a less diverse and a less rich um, microbiome compared to those without acne and it's thought that when we have this imbalance in the bacteria in our gut um, like I said before that can increase intestinal permeability um, increase inflammation in the body and therefore you have an increased risk of um, inflammation which um, can promote the growth of acne causing bacteria on the skin um so there is a link there i mean obviously acne is multifactorial the microbiome isn't the sole cause but it can play a role so that's another reason to looking after your gut health and um, can really help with your skin health as well
0: many people listening to this might be quite surprised to hear about the link between the skin and the gut um I know that I was fascinated when I first heard about it. What do you think's the most sort of surprising thing that you've learned on your journey towards understanding how the gut can play a role in other aspects of our health, Alana? To be honest with you, just
1: the, the personalization of it all was the thing that that, that struck me most. Um, you know, if Lisa and I can't be sold the same diet or lifestyle, then then no one can. We've got one hundred percent the same DNA. Um, yeah, and then just the links to you know overall health, I think, just blew our minds. And as the research keeps coming out, that will only Keep snowballing. Um, but we we do have to be very, very careful. You know, the science is, is still very new and we can't sensationalise it. But just knowing there is a link, you know, for me, just knowing that my gut and brain were physically connected in many ways really sort of t- triggered me. And also, you know, diet for us was something that we did two weeks before we went on holiday and, you know, it was all about restriction and taking things away. And actually, the beauty of gut health is about adding things in. And I think that's a really important message to get, to get over today. And also thinking about your health as a th- that 360 approach, taking everything into account. Stress, obviously, is huge. Sleep, exercise and diet, not just, you know, doing a diet for two weeks. It's complete restriction. And I think that's such an important message to get across for, for that next generation.
0: I like that. I like the emphasis on adding in more so that you can feel more vitality rather than thinking about restriction. I think that's really important. Um, And Lisa, I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, gut health and sleep. I know Alana's touched upon it, but is there a link there? And if so, are you able to shed some light on that for us?
2: Yeah, so um, one of the things that kind of fascinated me was that our, so sleep affects, it's a similar to gut brain. Sleep affects your gut bugs and your gut bugs can affect your sleep. But your gut bugs actually work in a circadian rhythm as well. So some of them are on the night shifts. I imagine them coming out at night with a little, a little broom. And people like night shift workers, um, uh, ask us a lot about gut health because they find that you know their routine's out they're working out out of kilter with the rest of the world and uh, you know sunshine and vitamin d etc um but yeah and that's something that actually um surprised us about it wasn't just necessarily about uh what you eat but also how you eat and equally all the other aspects of your your life as well like sleep hygiene and i think that's something that Alana and I, obviously as DJs, (laughs) had to anecdotally for us, uh, you know, we were on on stage at four in the morning and then we would sleep for three hours and get on a flight and go wherever else. And I think now actually what the pandemic has um, gifted us is you know, being able to get into a routine. And I anecdotally, I've certainly seen a dis- difference um, just being able to, and I like go to my bed at nine o'clock and get up at five thirty. So yeah, living a completely different life than what it was. But as I said, again, it's just another tool in your armory to know um, that to focus on sleep hygiene could be another piece of the puzzle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's interesting that you've touched upon that because clearly there's a connection there between sleep and being and... um you know, looking after those routines. And that's a gift that you have found that the pandemic gave you, which is lovely. How otherwise would you include wellness in your day you know what else is particularly important to you to to maintain health um lisa well
2: uh, you know running a startup isn't conducive to uh, you know stress relieving activities um but i think it's definitely something that i have started to focus on um you know alana really likes yoga you know more so she's not on her phone but actually what um i've kind of found is you know separating the work life balance uh, and actually well-being doesn't have to be gong baths and you know yeah, drinking green smoothies on your head. Um, I find that going to the pub with my pals and kind of shooting the breeze is the really meditative for me. Um, so I think it's important that, you know, like we work 14 hour days, etc. I think wellbeing for me is actually just taking time aside to socialise and see my pals. And that's like my reset button.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really important point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you imagine somebody, you know, feeling very zen, <laughs> <laughs> meditating and drinking a green smoothie, but actually just that heartwarming time with people that you love, people that you connect with mm-hmm. can be extremely restorative. Um yeah. yeah. What about you, Alana? Yeah, I
1: think for me, um, you know, just shifting the way that I think about exercise as well, you know, I was very much Getting down to a boutique gym in London, hammering a hit (laughs) class for forty-five minutes, and you know, thinking that that was exercise for me. But I actually moved out to the country um, just before lockdown, actually, and just going a walk and moving and being out in nature. And we haven't really touched upon, you know, what that can do for your microbiome as well. But just getting out in nature, and you know, I think working from home has different stresses on us all, and we actually just did a big. Um, survey with the gut stuff of people's challenges working from home and you know a lot of people are really really struggling and this new hybrid way of working will be something that is going to be probably permanent for a lot of people even if only part-time moving forward and we really need to start thinking about what our days days look like and um, just getting out in nature you know Obviously, we're on Zoom just now, but it, it takes up a lot of energy to being on Zoom all day. So we've we started doing things like, you know, doing calls while we're on walks, doing one to ones when we're on walks. And, and you know, I, I really personally underestimated the, the power of nature for a long time. You know, I grew up in the city of Edinburgh and then moved to London. And
0: I think it's it's really, really important to get that connection back again. Mm, I really like that. I think that's a great thing to mention is the power of nature, because of course, it's not even just about green spaces or going for a walk. It's about how nature can affect our microbiome as well, isn't it? You know, There's so much research now arising about how you can breathe your microbiome and how different uh, natural settings have an impact on our own microbiome. Isabel, would you be able to touch on what that's all about like how our environment can impact our microbiome because it's not just food that impacts our microbiome is it
3: yeah of course right um so it is a really interesting um, area and it's kind of um, new research is coming out that be it particularly being out in nature um that can influence our microbiome so exposing yourself to um kind of um soil and dirt i think that was previously thought as a kind of um dirty and unhygienic but actually we know kind of um particularly kind of young children who have um, been more around um kind of dirt those who grow up on a farm those who grow up with pets and um, they tend to have a much more healthy and rich and diverse microbiome and that's because they're exposed um to loads of different microbes um so i mean practical tips i would say is getting out in nature if you can um maybe go hiking with a friend um go on a nice um, nature walk at the weekend, the weather's super nice at the moment, or even if you can just get to um, go to your local park um, on your lunch break, Um, just getting out. We know that that can reduce our stress levels and our cortisol levels, but also um, kind of being around the dirt and the the microbes in nature is really important um, for our gut health.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think reflecting on the pandemic, I think it's going to be a difficult time for people because they're going to be so used to putting on antibac and washing their hands all the time and trying to avoid situations where they're exposed to bacteria and pathogens. And actually Washing your hands with soap and water is just as effective as washing your hands with an antibacterial soap. So you don't need an antibacterial within your soap. You can just wash your hands with normal soap. Um, And being outside is also important because it can reduce viral transmission anyway. And of course, you've got those other beneficial microbes outdoors, which can be really, really helpful. I think we've covered so much today between all four of us. It's been a really busy, <laughs> but fascinating chat. I would love to just end on just some really final practical tips that people can take away. I know we've, just, we've covered so much ground already, but if I sort of come to each of you in turn to give one tip that people can use to improve their gut health um as they go away and and go about their day so if i start with Alana. for
1: me you know behavior is is the hardest barrier to to come across when it comes to to health and wellness and, and shifting behavior and the only the, what worked for us and you know what what will hopefully work for the people that we speak to at the gut stuff is empowering yourself with you know the knowledge and once you have that knowledge uh, then encourages you to make positive change, and it doesn't have to be you know hundred and eighty and um, completely change in your life. Simple swaps is key, and I think that comes from empowering yourself with the knowledge, so that's definitely the first step in stone when it comes to gut health
0: so knowledge is power and take it one step at a time. Lisa, fiber um
3: yeah, <laughs> up your fiber
0: so fiber and know your numbers. What about yeah. you Isabel?
3: I would say, um, exercise movement. I think we've covered the diet side, um, just get, getting out, moving your body. This can, um, pr- promote a healthy gut. It can increase the production of, um, good uh, metabolites produced by our bacteria. So just trying to get out whatever you, whatever you enjoy, that could be yoga, running, cycling, Zumba, um, Kind of anything you enjoy and it's recommended to go for about 50, 150 minutes per week 30 minutes a day um whatever you can get is beneficial for your gut absolutely
0: fantastic well done ladies and if people want to know more about the gut stuff and your website that you've mentioned a couple of times where should they go alana yeah just
1: really simple thegutstuff.com and we're at the gut stuff on all social media platforms our book is available in most bookstores and um, but it's also on our website as well so yeah if you type the
0: gut stuff into google we'll, we'll, we'll pretty much come up <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong with the gut stuff brilliant all right thank you so much ladies it's been an absolute joy to spend time with you today thank you so much for having us thank you thank you Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Alana, Lisa and Isabel for a fantastic conversation all about gut health. And remember also to check out series one of the Wellness Edit where we had a whole episode dedicated to gut health. I think you'll find it's a wonderful contribution to enhance your knowledge as well as this episode that we have just had. I hope you enjoyed it as much as me and remember to check out the rest of the series of the Wellness Edit on the Holland & Barrett website hollandandbarrett.com or of course on your favorite podcast platform. Join me again next week where we'll be talking to another great guest about how to incorporate wellness into your day. All views and experiences talked about on this podcast are those of our guests and do not reflect the views of Holland & Barrett.